Hey everybody, welcome to the Weekender Edition of the Muckrake Podcast. Available to patrons, go over to patreon.com slash Podcast to get the whole show. You're going to want to hear this show. Nick, we got we got to talk about sex. We got to talk about uh, firing squads and guillotines. We got to talk about sabotage in the deep seas. This this show is loaded and weird. Yes, we have to talk about sex? We, we have to. We, we've been okay. told we have to. All right. Well, listen, if you that's what you tell me, then then let's do it. <laughs> All right, everybody, uh, before we get uh, to business, uh, we are going to do a live show for our patrons. So that's going to happen on February 23rd. That is next Thursday. That'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, those who have attended before, you know the drill. We'll, we'll do the episode. We're going to answer questions. We'll interact with our people. It's always a great time. That is Thursday, February 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern. Go over to patreon.com slash podcast to go ahead and get in on the fun. I, I, I want to speak for you, Nick, but this is one of my favorite things that we do. Oh, absolutely. And I don't ever usually get in there and tell people that they should go over to Patreon, but I am going to do it because maybe my voice will be compelling um, for them. So definitely, it's a, it's a really great time. Definitely the tentpole event of our Patreon experience. I agree. And uh, listen, I, I, I want to pull back the curtain on this thing. I'm sitting here. I, most of the time, I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to have something like that on a weekend. I'm drinking coffee, Nick. Uh, we're doing this in the morning. I got to go to St. Louis. I'm doing this event with Sarah Kinzier. I noticed you're not a coffee guy. Is this right? Yep. Never. I don't think I've ever really had coffee. I'm sorry. What? I know. It's stunning. Yeah. I've never. You, you I, maybe I, I, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, I don't like it. I don't even know what to do right now. Do you like coffee flavored things like an ice cream or something? No. I, how about this? I like tiramisu, and some people have insisted that there's a like coffee-ish something there, but I don't I don't know. If that's coffee, then maybe I, I don't know, but no. Our, no our friendship and our partnership has now lasted years, and I am just absolutely flummoxed constantly. I got to tell you. This is incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Nick, um, we're going to go ahead and start with uh, a development that's taking place at the New York Times. Uh, over the past couple of days, uh, GLAD and also hundreds of New York Times contributors have sent letters asking the paper to stop running stories criticizing uh, trans people. Uh, the letter sent on the 15th began, we write to you as a collective of New York Times contributors with serious concerns about editorial bias in the newspapers reporting on transgender, non-binary, and gender non forming people. Uh, we'll get into the response, uh, the, the actual official response. But as of this morning, Nick, and we're recording this on Thursday, February 16th, grabbed my coffee, sat down, opened up my laptop to do a little pre-show, just reading the reading the tea leaves, if you will. And a uh, friend of the pod, Pamela Paul, who, by the way, is one of the worst opinion columnists that is out there. And not just because of her opinions, which suck, her columns are boring and predictable and awful. Um, I, I, I got to say, this response is uh, something. Uh, this this column that comes out the day after this public open letter came out, uh, Pamela Paul's opinion column in defense of J.K. Rowling. I don't I don't know if you can make it much clearer than that uh, where where things stand right now at the the gray lady. Um, you know, it's keep piling on the failing New York Times. Uh, there's lots <laughs> of issues there. And uh, I got to tell you, I I pulled apart the article that you shared with me uh, about the letter. And then they actually referenced a particular article that was troublesome about trans people in New York Times. So I called up the article and I I tried to read it or I read it. And and I I was having a little bit of trouble understanding exactly what the outrage was 
about what like what what they're complaining if that if that's like a good example of that and I, I guess i would have preferred more very specific stuff in there where they're talking about you know like where i can wrap my head around it better because honestly i i was i'm having a little trouble so help me well you know a, a large part of what's happening in this and, and real fast i want to read the response um this came from uh the director of external communications charlie statlander uh th- this is the response and we'll get into what exactly is happening here Quote, we received the open letter delivered by GLAAD and welcome their feedback. We understand how GLAAD and the co-signers of the letter see our coverage, but at the same time, we recognize that GLAAD's advocacy mission and the Times' journalistic mission are different. As a news organization, we pursue independent reporting on transgender issues that include profiling groundbreakers in the movement, challenges and prejudice faced by the community, and how society is grappling with debates about care. Now, uh, one of the things that's happening here is that the New York Times is the New York Times. Um, You know, over the past few years, there's been this weird shift in American politics. And you see it, especially with social media, you see a lot of liberals or Democratic voters who are starting to look up and they're trying to understand what space the New York Times has in communal dialogue. Right. Like because one of the reasons is because the New York Times and the Washington Post in the era of Trump, they sold themselves as, you know, resistance uh, Mm -hmm. uh, newspapers or resistance media. And, you know, democracy dies in darkness and all in this. And so meanwhile, we're seeing these articles where, you know, major issues such as uh, uh, the the opening up of like uh, trans uh, people and like where they should be in society and how society should function. There's a surprise that someone or a media avenue like the New York Times or the Washington Post seems to sit squarely in the middle or center right, right? They're, they're questioning these things. They're constantly sort of cautioning against moving too fast, almost as if they are conservative in nature, right? Which almost. Is almost like they are. And this for people, and you've been paying attention in this same way. We're going to talk about Seymour Hirsch later. Um, you know, we, we know that the New York Times oftentimes is centrist and oftentimes is center right and conservative i mean they push the the uh the iraq war right on false pretenses uh they've constantly been on the conservative side of social issues and we're watching sort of a a shifting like sort of consideration of what the new york times is and the problem here is it's it's sort of like asking a a a leopard to change itself you know like it's it is what it is and the pushback against it is from a perspective that they are not who they are Mm -hmm. i I believe michael jordan said it best he said i think i'm paraphrasing uh republicans buy newspapers too sure (laughs) and so of course they 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 need to appeal and we've seen a shift there has been this notion of trying to appeal more to the right uh in the new york times in the last several years um you know part of this is there are because more and more i mean the the thing i think i find hilarious is that the, the big argument tends to be well these kids are seeing more and more trans people like in the movies And so because they're seeing that, that's giving them these weird ideas that they wanted to suddenly become trans. Not that they like, that's not part of their fabric. They just sort of are emulating something like it's cool, which is not how this works. And so, uh, but, but so the, so the argument could very well be like with the New York times writing about it as much as they are, um, we're maybe perhaps we're getting somewhere and that's what the letter is, is also wanting us to get to. Like we're getting somewhere where there is a bit of a more of a normalization. So more and more people could come to accept what this is. And I, and that, and by the way, if you, if, if that's the idea, then when you screw up misgendering 
people in these articles, that definitely is a problem which furthers or, or makes it harder for us to progress to where it becomes a little bit more of a normal situation and people who are in a trans community won't be ostracized or treated as poorly as they are now. Yeah, and, and and let's go ahead and reset this thing because there's so much that's happening here that has like a larger context than what's going on, right? Like on, on one hand, let's go ahead and be uh, very upfront about this. Transgenderism is not something that has just happened in the past couple of years. I mean, we have societies going back centuries that that have this on the record that have dealt with this. In fact, by the way, have not only dealt with it, but have dealt with it with more grace and aplomb that America is dealing with it in 2023, right? Mm-hmm. On top of that, there, there was this moment during the Trump era, and this is one of the problems because Trump both highlighted like what was happening in our culture and in our politics to make us understand that something was wrong. But the ability to understand what was wrong was colored by where people were in the political and social stratum, right? So let's take this issue of transgenderism. The, the, the people who wrote this letter are completely right. The, there's no debate about how trans people should be treated, right? They should be, you know, given rights. They should be protected. They, they shouldn't have to live in fear. And, and meanwhile, there's two reactions to it that are sort of taking place. One is the right wing. And the right wing says, like you just said, that these children are being indoctrinated. They're being brainwashed. And, and yeah, let's, let's look at Josh Howley real fast. Well, listen, some people may need to go to jail, Laura. You don't get to take kids in and tell them that they need to have their gender reassigned, lie to them about what the effects will be, which is sterilization in many instances, lie to their parents about it, and maybe take taxpayer dollars as part of the whole thing and then just get away with it. But here's what... Yeah, and, and, and by the way, that's that's Howley and the National Conservatives and the far right. That's what they believe, that there is, and this is one of the defining characteristics of this conservative movement, and it always has been, that not only is society changing, but it's changing because of a plan. You know, Nick, again, no offense to you, but you and your friends are getting together in secret midnight meetings and having discussions about how to inject poison into society and how to destroy masculinity and particularly white masculinity. And they see this as a plot. Meanwhile, the New York Times and other sort of centrist status quo institutions they have to be in the middle of this thing because they don't particularly want society to change. This is one of the reasons why they often in the past have, have sort of sided with, with people like, I don't know, Adolf Hitler, or Benito Mussolini, because those were people who said, oh, society is changing too quickly. We need to slow things down. That's their natural instinct because they are wealthy and privileged and, and influential people. They're not interested in things changing. Things feel pretty good to them for the most part, except for, you know, when we're talking about chatbots taking their jobs. And the it's always this sort of straddling this middle rail that people now on the left or people within this transgender movement, they're saying this coverage isn't, you know, it's not doing it. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. lending credence to what the far right is saying. But I have to tell you, that tree isn't necessarily worth worth barking up because it's not going to change. You cannot change the New York Times by criticizing it. And in, 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 in it literally, you have to understand its place in the political spectrum. You can criticize it. You can talk about what it can do better, but you can't expect it to necessarily change because it can't change. There's nothing that these media uh, institutions can possibly do to change themselves. 
Well, that's an interesting conversation we can have about the method with which they attempted this, which was yeah. two different letters, one from GLAD and one from the LGBTQ right. community. Um, and so there could be an argument that you shouldn't have done it should have been one at a time or have a singular voice or, or there's a whole lot of other things where now one gets drowned out because you notice the response from New York times kind of says only calls out the glad letter. Right. And it sort yep. of allows them to sort of ignore the, the hundreds of other people who wrote a separate letter that might actually have some more of a journalistic background yep. uh, that might have more weight to what they were saying. Um, and so as a result, it's like they get to write their letter. It's written well, uh, you know what I mean, in terms of uh, fl flourish. And uh, they get to move on with their lives. Uh, pretty much that's all. They responded like they wanted to. And, yeah, they, they didn't have any no notion of contrition or a desire to alter the method with which they're reporting this, these things. They have a really natural faint that they always fall back to, which is we are completely objective. We're journalists. Nothing's objective. If if at in 2023 AD the year of the Lord like my God can we finally get to the point where nothing is actually objective? You're, well, are there are there adjectives in the New York Times? Sometimes. Yeah, so I think there's your like. How can you be objective if you have adjectives? You journalism <laughs> has never been objective, but what happens is. It's sort of this this constant shield of uh, we're just basically common sense. We're just reporting it as it is. Things are written. Things are edited. Things are presented. And the way that this has worked, particularly during the Trump era, has shown us that there is this constant gravity or constant push to go ahead and, quote unquote, ask questions. Well, if we're asking questions, why aren't we asking questions about economic institutions? Why aren't we asking questions about where power lies? And it's very clear because this is the bastion. And, and again, I say the word liberal and it always ruffles feathers a little bit, right? Like liberalism is not necessarily what we've been told it is. It is also the the emphasis on property, the instance, uh, the emphasis on the protection of personal property and, and, and personal, uh, 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 you know, bastions of wealth and power. And when you look at this, you have to understand that these institutions work the way they do for a reason. That doesn't mean that things can't change, but like, Look at how they covered the civil rights movement. Look at how they covered, you know, a constant revolutionary moments. Like they're not going to do this for you. That's the the biggest thing. We can't just tweet at public officials. We can't just tweet at uh, at newspapers and such. And listen, I think this letter should have been written. I do. But that doesn't mean that we have to expect that the well-written letter will suddenly make them come to their senses. We have to understand that there are class issues here. There are material conditions here. And quite frankly, Nick, there are conversations that we should be having. Things are changing. And we should have conversations about things like where one person meets another person in the public place. Like, what should a school do? How should a school react to these issues, right? What is the best way to protect children and also, you know, uh, uh, protect these public institutions? Those are conversations we should be having and we should be meeting out. But the, the way it's being handled right now, it, it is not, uh, it's not being done with that in mind. I mean, I, don't you think a letter or outrage should have been pointed at like someone like Josh Hawley? 
Like that probably is the more nefarious issue we have. We have leaders of our of a Republican Party that are spreading all sorts of lies uh, about trans people every day. And that's probably more dangerous than the reporting that we see in the New York Times do. I know they're easier because they want they say, send us a letter if you have a problem with what we do. It's so, OK, let's do that. We'll have a day worth of news. But we have these guys every other day coming out there talking about this stuff and, and really polluting the issue. That's the progression that is going to be uh won't progress because of that and it will just foment even more and more hate how, i mean you know how uh insecure are you as a person and who you are that you would think that if i were to go to a film when i'm 12 and i see something on the screen that somehow completely and utterly changes my identity of who i am and how i want to be seen like that doesn't make sense so that's not how that works i want to point something out in all of this they are literally in the far right and Josh Halley and all these assholes. They're literally making this argument that people are choosing to express themselves in a way that will make them way, way, way more statistically uh, vulnerable to violence. You know what I mean? And, 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 and being pushed out and being harassed and being mistreated. That's the argument that's being made. They're doing it because it's cool. They do not understand modern culture in that way. And by the way, Nick, I don't want to put you on the spot. What grade would you give the New York Times and the Washington Post for their coverage of the Trump phenomenon, his lies, <laughs> right-wing authoritarianism? What grade would you give them? Well, I mean, if I was on the side of Josh Hawley, I'd give him an A plus, I suppose. But you got to give him a D. I would say D is generous. You've been listening to the free part of this episode. If you'd like to hear the rest of this great conversation, head over to Patreon.com/slash/MuckRakePodcast and subscribe for lots more additional content, including a Discord server and live shows. We'd really appreciate it if you could give it a try. We know you'll love it and come back for more. 